0: i am sitting here looking out over a golf course in this beautiful suite with my dearest friend Sharon Salzer. Welcome to Mind Rolling, Sharon. Thank you so much. And we are in Ojai where Sharon is teaching and it's giving you a nice opportunity for us to get together in the beautiful Ojai mountain. You know, it's like Ojai is like cradled. You feel cradled by these incredible mountains. And uh, of course, it's where Krishnamurti came, and has, there's a beautiful library. Were you into Krishnamurti at all?
1: Yes. Well, I'm old enough so that I, I actually saw him speak. Oh, really? I didn't know You know, know in, in India. India. The first uh, year I was in India and Delhi, and I think subsequent years as well, and then later in New York at Carnegie Hall and places like that. Really? Yeah. yeah. Tell me about that experience because I never experienced it. Oh, he was yeah. so. Um, clear and like in Carnegie Hall it was so interesting because he was just on the stage and it was just him and I think a little table with like a flower or something you know and uh you know he filled the space just but not through dramatics you know just through this very kind of calm clear exposition of about awareness and he was pretty great
0: yeah Do you remember anything you really picked up with him that stuck with you around teaching? No, there's a
1: beautiful quote. I can't remember exactly what it was, but something like, um, the the mind is liberated by seeing what is true, not by our efforts to be free. Mm. Or we are liberate, something like that.
0: Mm. Not by our efforts to be free. Wow, that's great. Oh, you know, you should go there. It's really... Oh, yeah, right. It's right here. Yeah, it's right, <laughs> somewhere, here, right around yeah. the corner. Yeah, to the library. I mean, it's, it's, it's got a lot of his awareness, peace kind of mm-hmm. vibe in it. I, yeah, so it's kind of nice. Um, so I think I was telling you last night when we had dinner that I did this podcast with my son with Joseph Goldstein, your close, close person for all these years. And and since it was after Ramdas leaving, and my son wanted to know, you know, a little bit about just handling the loss, handling the the griefy, depressiony kind of thing, and and so I, I need further elucidation because Joseph talked about he said, don't conflate loss with grief. In other words, don't put them under the same heading and uh, run them through your system side by side. Can you talk talk a little bit about that? It's just uh, for you, a loss and well, grief. Was it
1: helpful for your son hearing that?
0: I haven't just talked to him yet.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a little hard to say because people use those words so differently and mm-hmm. Joseph, following in the lines of of great Buddhist scholars, is extremely precise in the way he uses words that we might, in casual conversation, use synonymously. Uh, but he's like making you know fine distinctions. So um, sometimes grief is talked about in the Buddhist psychology. It doesn't even necessarily mean the Western psychological sense of grief, but. It's the sense of protestation. Things should not be the way that they are. Or even I insist that they not be the way that they are. And and um, I think that's a different add-on to what's already a very painful situation. And I think what Joseph is implying is that there's maybe the possibility of understanding this is in the nature of things that there's no one who escapes death. There's no one who escapes loss, like day by day. And yet, I don't think the implication of that statement is that it's all hunky dory, you know, that mm. we don't feel things. And sometimes people bring up the example of the Buddha when his two closest disciples had died. I think they died within two weeks of each other. And the Buddha said something like, It's as though the sun and the moon were not in the sky. Mm. So he, he didn't say, you know, what the hell? You know, everybody dies. It wasn't like that. Um, but you sort of, or at least I don't imagine him falling down on the ground, you know, having a tantrum because these two people died. It's like this is the nature of things. Yeah. And I think if you accept that long ago, you know, as one might through continual reflection, um, it's different. And certainly the cultural, American cultural norm of let's all pretend, you know, forever that that's never going to happen. If it does happen, then it's like, oh, that person blew it somehow, you know, Mm -hmm. like they couldn't manage to stay alive.
0: Some uh, funny Lama Surya Das, who was at the uh, memorial for Ramdas in Maui, is part of, in the middle of his little chat, he said, you know, there's one thing that's really a miracle. The miracle is we all don't think we're going to die. We actually, it's a miracle that we think like that. Yeah, it was really a funny take. You know.
1: I think it might be in the Gita, which you would know better than I. Something like, what's the most wondrous thing in the world? The most wondrous thing in the world is that all around us people die and we don't think it's going to happen to us. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. It's an amazing thing. So loss... Is in the nature of things and needs to be appreciated as such. And of course, acceptance of impermanence is a large part of that. And then grief, of just it's nature of things to feel bad. Yeah. You know, just to feel bad. Uh, you know, I thought of all the things that I'm going to miss about Rob Doss not being around.
1: Yeah. Know? Yeah. That's true.
0: And, you know, you know the one thing that I did. I maybe I even said it on that podcast, but um, Ramdas' constant, constant um, admonition that we can live on more than one plane of consciousness at the same time. Okay, and we tend to really separate that out, you know, because we're gonna, we're in we're in grief. We're going to be there, and then. I love your thing of the add-ons, right? The add-ons, there's a lot of them, you know, and they feed that emotion. You know, I mean, I I know this well, and we've talked about it before, you know, a person gets angry over being slighted or whatever it may be. That person brings in everything from the very core of their being, of being, you know, dissed or whatever, and brings that all forward and dumps it out and add-on, right, major add-on, so, uh, yeah.
1: And I think there's there's a kind of great um, cultural add-on around feeling bad, like it's not okay just to feel bad, and so people in kind of a mourning place are, are urged to hurry up by their friends, you know, or... It, mm-hmm. You know, it gets a feeling like it's long enough in other people's eyes, or um, it, it sort of intrigues me the way, you know, when some misfortune happens in a family or somebody dies, so many other things can fall apart, you know, like, and you think, why are people behaving that way? And, and someone said to me once over some situation, it was, we were observing. She said, well, that's just because people are all grieving and they don't know how to just be with the feeling, you know, so they're going around contesting the well or, you know, like yeah, right. freaking out over yeah. the dishcloth or something like that.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, You know, I'm th- not sure if you know, but I- we've been working, uh, Duncan, who you just saw recently, Duncan and I are working on a, an idea for a a book that's around krishnadasa's movie of me i think i told you about it no i didn't know that yeah um we've been having a good time of it you know going through just sitting and chatting together and going through all of the uh, the habitual patterns and neurotic tendencies to make up that nice story that we tell each other ourselves and each other on a day to day and um so we've gotten some good points with it and um and now we're really talking about engendering the we. So uh, uh, here's what I want to call the book. I went to a Clippers game the other day, the basketball team. And okay, with, thanks. <laughs> yeah. With And their motto is we over me, right? Team spirit kind of a thing. But I thought, oh, I love that title. I want to use it for the book. I don't know if the Clippers will be mad or whatever. Anyhow... But the getting to the point of really uh, the actualization of the things, I mean, there's the well people go, well, wait a minute, why you know there's a me, and I can't operate without that me." And of course, that's all true. you know, an ego as a servant is a, it can be a good servant, but a terrible master, as it says in the East. Uh, but um. The only reason, I guess, anybody comes to any of these teachings is because they're just absolutely unhappy and they're suffering. And something happens that, okay, is, is there a way? Is there another way, even if we just take it that far? And once you realize through acid or you know psychedelics or a book or a teacher or a guru, whatever it may be, that there is a way, you pursue that way, right? That's a natural thing for us to do. But at the same time, um, it seems to me that one, and which is the essence of what he and I are are working on, we we absolutely have to look at uh, the reality of all the moments that we tend to be able to get out of ourselves because somebody else is suffering maybe. And as soon as we do that, and we we're now in an altruistic zone that uh, cuts out this self-referential me business, mm-hmm. and then a little bit of happiness or feel good something happens. So the real question is, how do we engender this place on a day-to-day basis? Not on okay, next Sunday I'm going to go feed the poor. You know, not that kind of mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. Just the moment to moment thing what perspective what actualizations can we use well
1: I'm going to go back to uh, one of the first things you just said because this is something we talk about a lot I'm not sure it's still so true that people pretty much only come to wanting a different perspective or something from a state of great suffering I think that was totally true in our time you know Really, because the teachings were not that accessible, and so you had to have a hell of a motive you know and sense of intentionality to even find the thing right mm. you know, so you went to India, I went to India um I went to India when I was eighteen years old, I'd never even been to California before, and I went to India <laughs> and you kind of had to do something intense big. you had to do something big and so that meant the urge was big, mm. and the need was big. And I, I mean, I don't know that what you said is incorrect at all, but it is something we talk about all the time. Like, mm. what does it mean that, you know, it's kind of so much more accessible and maybe you just have a big curiosity about life. You don't have that much pain or you feel a little bit empty, but not, you know, deeply depressed or something like that. So I don't know. Unsatisfied, though, with suffering, right? Yeah, um... But I, I don't know, I just feel like there are people who are who do have that kind of curiosity like they're mm. not they don't even know they're unsatisfied or dissatisfied it's more a sense of oh that says I'll um enjoy my cup of coffee more because I'll mindful be mindful of, of it you right. know like right, right. let, right. let right. me see what that and is or
0: yeah i'm I, I need to. You know, really get my body in shape. I'm going to the yoga yeah, studio. Yeah, that's right. And that's then right. Some, some yoga teacher decides to play Krishna Das. Yeah. And yeah, then yeah. something else happens. Yeah, 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 So, yeah, that's true. And all of that. Or just, I, I like the curiosity thing because that's certainly people, uh, psychedelics are taken by curiosity. They are not necessarily taken by deep depressive people, yeah, right? Yeah. Oh, these days they might yeah. be. But, oh, you know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, they're working with that. Yeah. yeah, yeah this is to be great. Working out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah so, um,
1: but yeah, no, it might be just curiosity or or who knows what all right, so once we're there, yeah, now what? Well, I mean, I think it some of it depends on if you have a teacher or you don't have a teacher because i I keep thinking of Phil Jackson mm. um because of my friend George Mumford, mm. our friend George Mumford, who was basically um the meditation teacher, the mindfulness mm. teacher for the teams that Phil Jackson would coach and And uh, George wrote a book called The Mindful Athlete at one point, and he and I were doing some talks together like around New York and DC when his book came out, and um, he would always say that, um, uh, well, I I would say to him, like, do you use the word mindfulness? And he'd say, well, now I can, because there's like science and research, you know? Then I'd say, do you use the word compassion? And he'd say, That's too much. <laughs> so I said, Well, yeah. what do you say? Because I knew he must be sort of talking about the value in some way or encouraging it. And um, first, George said, I say, don't be hating. Don't be hating on yourself. Don't be hating on others. And then he said, and Phil Jackson's whole thing is think like a team. And someone in the audience would always say to George, how do you get these people who are like superstars, brilliant, brilliant players, to not only think about themselves? And he said, because that's how you win. That's oh. actually how you win. Mm. And so, but they had a model, you know, and that was the ethic of the group. And um, so that's one way, mm. you know, mm. is saying, okay, this is our value. We're going to explore this. Even as you pursue individual excellence doesn't mean you have to become like a slaggard, you know in, yeah. in your own progress. but like what would it mean? So sometimes if I go into an organization or a company, I'd like to ask the question, how many other people need to be doing their jobs well in order for you to do your job well? you so think about, you know nobody necessarily thinks about the house cleaning service that comes in overnight, you know but look at that you know, you're working better because there's this sparkling clean environment or mm-hmm. sterile surgical suite or whatever it is. Yeah.
0: Okay, so that that's a very apt analogy. But I'm not on a team. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm kind of a... I work independently or whatever it may be. And... Here I am, spending a little bit too much time thinking about myself. Okay, how do we translate that concept?
1: Well, if you're willing, if you're interested, I mean, that's a reflection too. Like, what is the interdependent nature of my day? You look mm. at the shirt you're wearing, which is very nice. Where did you get that embroidery? Yes, it's
0: Ram Ram, yeah. <laughs> from the Ram Dass shop.
1: Oh, okay. It's
0: <laughs> a Krishna Dash shirt.
1: All right. will kind of, yeah, it's not quite as red as his, but... Yeah, well, <laughs> it's very nice. It's got this embroidery on it. It yeah. says, Ron, Ron. you know, it's like you look at your shirt and you start to, I and mean, this is like a training and, and analysis, like you break it up into its component parts, or how many beings, how many forms of life have been involved in the creation of that shirt. You know, it's like whatever it is, you know, and, and, and you realize, oh, um, there are beings who, you know, somehow harvested this material and transported it and and put it together and sold it or gave it to the ramda shop to sell. You know, like uh, somebody did the embroidery, and you realize like many hands have touched this shirt. In effect, mm. and that you don't just treat it as an object. You you recognize, oh, this is really the consequence of many beings or. You know, if you go to work, you're all lonesome self, but you take a mode of transportation, you are dependent on the people maintaining that mode of transportation. And people are dependent on you as well. It's really, uh, um, you know, because that's just the nature of the universe. It's not romantic or, or fanciful. That's just how things actually operate. But we tend to feel like we live in a vacuum and we feel very isolated, but it's actually not true. So uh, I don't know what's happening there. Yeah, trolley or something.
0: So we're talking about independent, interdependent nature Mm -hmm. of of things, and when we talk about that, we talk about okay, there's a practice that one can do. So I think we need to talk about the practice that allows us to be um, embodying and understanding this interdependent nature.
1: Well, I think there are different practices, even just like the one reflection. You know, like sometimes if I'm with a group of people, um, like in a hall or something like that, I'll say, okay, let's do this reflection. How many beings have been involved in some way in your being in this room right now? And you look back and you think, oh, you know, it wasn't just this impulsive decision. I'm really here because I had that conversation with somebody, and that person Mm -hmm. gave me a book, and that person taught me a chant or whatever it is, you know? And so you begin to see, oh, that's actually the nature of things. And then, of course, there's loving kindness as a practice, which is um, kind of explicitly designed to help reinforce that understanding. Mm,
0: Yeah, which you've been teaching for a long time. Yeah. Yeah, metta. Um, Yeah, I mean... What there's an aspect that I, well, one thing, I think for everybody listening, once you you experience that reality, of, of the inter interdependent nature of things, in a way that, as you said, it's not a flighty thing, it's not it's a real thing. It is true. And once you experience that thing, maybe you're going to have a little bit of trust, right? I always, I love to talk, as you know, we've talked about it before, trust is such a, you know, um, to me it's a powerful word because faith can start to get people nervous, mm-hmm. that word, right? It's funny how all these words, you know, they do different things, right? It's crazy. So you start to have a little bit of trust, and th- through that trust, you, it may lead you to believe that this is truth, this is it, this will do twofold things: my understanding and my pursuit of this nature, which is in me and in, in everybody, and the understanding of that will lead me to um, help myself as well as other people. So it's it's like a win-win thing. And then you might go, gee, I think I'm going to find that Sharon Salzberg meta meditation course. Mm-hmm. I'm going to come to IMS you know, and we're going to pursue that. And then um, it's a gradually, but as our friend says, inevitably, something starts to change. And I think, what I mean, it's got to be around the perspective stops being so reactive to immediately um, judge everything around us, basically, right? I mean, we just from the judging everything around us to the uh, feeling like we are being attacked. You know, those two things are so strong and create such separation. Look what's going on in our in our world in terms of mm-hmm. this 2020, the election, and so on. Mm-hmm. So, um, but it takes... A while, right? And it takes a lot of practice. Mm-hmm. But I think once you you get the idea that it's true and real, and as you said, not fanciful, mm-hmm. right? And then that can be starts to be embodied, where you're not so easily judging the, uh, uh, mm-hmm. you know, especially in this political, world, uh, so polarized world. You're not immediately doing that. You're maybe taking, wait a minute, these no, they are not different, as His Holiness said. Uh, Everybody wants to be happy. Mm-hmm. Everyone. So that that um, is, a, is a way for us to take the, the little baby steps and know it's a long journey.
1: Mm-hmm. And also I think there's a lot of satisfaction out of, um, in reference to something you asked earlier, out of kind of making resolves that are almost like, you could call them disciplines or you could call them plays you know, of life or, or whatever, but it's like um, not looking only for like a kind of grandiose solution or manifestation of your deepest values. But for this week, I am going to try to remember to thank anybody who helped me out in some mm. way. Mm. And, and doing that, you know, it seems so tiny in, in some ways or inconsequential, but it'll change your day and it might well change their day. Just to be thanked. And so, looking for those, I think, very concrete, immediate things we can do that maybe we normally disdain because they feel insufficient or something like that. But we do them and try it out and see yeah. what happens.
0: Or, as you said once, when we talk about love, you know, we're not talking about that thing that makes other people think you're just a weak little thing. Yeah. Right? yeah. That's such an awful thing that people, you know. But, again, part of our reality in terms of all the different kinds of consciousness we have around us. Um, and I think I... Uh, projection is a, is another very powerful thing that we are constantly doing. We have no, no idea. I mean, I'm getting more and more to the point where... I think it was... Bernie Glassman, you know Bernie, uh-huh, sure, and um, how he would—it was all an open question. Everything. Uh-huh. He was not believing in any certainty of anything except love and caring, which uh-huh. he did. And uh, so, projections—a uh, great story uh, from Ramdas. Actually, he. It's in this book that we did uh, about uh, these stories that he tells in all the talks. We put a book together of them. He was at a meditation course, and he, everyone had a roommate, but it was silent. So this roommate didn't even look him in the eye once, right? The whole course he's thinking this guy hates me. So it must be something from my past, maybe. Uh, you know, stuff with Harvard. I mean, he just went on a on a trip about why this guy absolutely despised him. He was positive of it. Positive. Anyhow the retreat's over and they could talk. So the guy comes up to Ramdas and says, Ramdas I am so thrilled that we got to spend this time together. You opened my whole universe up to the Spirit. I am, I've am i been waiting all these years to thank you. Yeah, that's
1: great. Yeah, it's perfect. Yeah, it's a perfect example. And of course, silence exacerbates that, but normal human communication exacerbates it too because mm. um, I've been working some more... Um, in the community of people affected by gun violence, either they themselves have been shot or their children, or they've been there, you know, like as witnesses. And um, somebody told me a story, this friend of mine told me a story about uh, one of the dads who'd lost his son um, at a school shooting was going back to work for the first time in a year. and. He did something in a restaurant. I don't know exactly what it was, you know, but she went kind of to support him his first day back at work. And she said it was so amazing because she was just watching him chatting with people or doing his job, whatever it was. And she said, you never know. And she said, and she realized you never do know. Like you don't know that this guy just got out of bed for the first time in a year, you know, it could function. And we just see these people. For all she knew, the guy next to him had a story too, you know. But it's like we we don't stop and admit what we don't know, yeah. And that everybody wants to be happy, and that everybody is vulnerable, and that we have much more possibility of a sense of collective care and understanding than we leave time for.
0: Remember, Bob's uh, Bob Thurman said once, or I must have read it, maybe I read it. What did he say? Worse than the ignorance that we carry around is an attitude that we know anything.
1: Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's really
0: deluding, you know, really deluding.
1: Did you listen to his uh, Puja for Ram Dass online?
0: A little bit. I saw a little bit of it, yeah. yeah. Were you there? No, I wasn't no, there, but there.
1: I listened to it online.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was was, it's so great.
1: It was fabulous. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. So, okay, want to hear about something? Because I didn't know this till last night. But you have a new book coming out. I do. And uh, people, uh, when you hear this podcast, you will be able to pre-order it and make sure that it. It gets where it should be, which is uh, really in front of as many faces as we can, and many eyeballs. So, yeah, well, okay. What's the name? And we got you know, you got to tell me something. I literally because I I knew we were going to do this, so I didn't get into asking you anything about yeah. it. Yeah. So go ahead, tell me.
1: Yeah, I will uh, send you the link. You know, for pre-sales because this really is, uh, you know, an ordinary kind of conversation like this. I would have made sure you had the book. You know. Oh, that beforehand, yeah, but yeah. it's like you don't, you know, you have never seen it. Um, so it's called real change, and that was a little bit, honestly, of a joke title because I have real happiness and real happiness at work, uh. so and real love. So we were going to call this real change as a joke, but then there was never any better title that came along. So oh, really? it's called real yeah. change, and uh, subtitle is something like mindfulness to heal ourselves in the world. So it's about mindfulness, loving, kindness, and social change. Mm. Mm. And I'm um, really happy about it. You know, it's different than other books I've written in that I include the voices of many people oh. working towards social change. And mm. I also define social change in a pretty broad way, including art and creativity that helps break down boundaries and, you know, mm. have people think differently. And so I have like playwrights and um, musicians and uh, immigration attorneys and really? oh. anti bias, you know, uh, people um, and uh, environmental people. I mean, it's just very interesting to me. Not everyone I had interviewed is an, is a practitioner. Many of them are. They have some kind of practice or another. Uh, some of them don't. But everyone is expressing kind of the same values, like interconnection. And also interestingly enough, I mean one of the first people I had interviewed was a striking fast food worker in New York, somebody who'd been leading the movement toward $15 an hour as a minimum wage and a union for these people. and met a bunch of them through some friends and I found them incredible people, you know, because they were doing a very scary thing, like, They have nothing. Some of them are working full time and living in homeless shelters because they can't afford rent. And, you know, and, but it's all they had was those jobs. And their parents would say, their family would say, don't rock the boat. Mm. It's all you've got. But they just said, no, we deserve better. And Mm. so I had some interesting conversations with people about that sense of love for oneself that makes, helps you stand up and say, you know what? This isn't right. And, and that was a really strong tie for me to loving kindness mm. practice and yeah. for oneself. And then the sense of agency, like how not to feel completely helpless in the face of such an <laughs> onslaught of suffering. And I have two chapters that were really interesting to explore, one on moving from anger to courage, one on moving from grief to resilience, you know, so it's kind of a powerful book for me uh, to be looking at.
0: All right, well, okay. I know you didn't. I didn't get the books. You can't pay yeah, yeah, me whatever, yeah. but I want. Okay, grief to resilience. I have yeah. gone through. Yeah. Uh, this is not. This is a now thing yeah, for yeah, me, sure. and, and it's been going on for some time over different incidents in my life. So, mm-hmm. please, enlighten me. <laughs>
1: uh, wish I had the book. Um. Yeah. I mean, there were there were some perspectives on grief that, um, and this is you know again using the word in a certain a certain way. It, it was like, first of all, it's natural, of course, and the world might say, "Hurry up!" But it's a natural feeling. It's it's love that doesn't have the usual place to go. The person is gone, or the situation is gone, and we had all that love, and it's nowhere to go. it's nowhere to go. Uh, But that's really what it's based on, and understanding a few things. One is um, I have a whole chapter on joy, Hmm. that even as we acknowledge the depth of pain our own or someone else's, we also can work to let in joy, because a lot of times we close that off. We feel we don't deserve it. We feel there's too much suffering, or other people don't have it, and so we're not getting replenished in any way, you know, it's just uh, that angle on life, which is so dismal, you know, and there's nothing else. So some of it is that some of it is allowing the the painful feelings and also looking for what we add on to it. This is the only thing I'll ever feel. This is, I'm the only one who's ever felt this. This is just me. This is going to stay here forever. Or uh, I blew it. You know, that's why I feel that I shouldn't feel it. I'm, whatever it might be, and and using all those modalities of, of working uh, with the add-ons and working with loving kindness for ourselves and for others. In in the midst of that, I think really th- there's something so beautiful about grief and that it's caring, you know, it's not indifference, and, and yet it's devastating. And so... <clears throat> It, it's almost metabolizing that grief to realizing it's not just me, that this is part of the human condition, and and we can connect even more in an acknowledgement of the suffering that exists than we have before, and I think all of that leads to a kind of resilience.
0: Resilience is, I, I've been repeating it a lot, it's, more in terms of I've been having a hard time. I've been saying things like I just don't have the emotional resilience right now to, to bounce back, and I'm you know for me I'm it's okay okay I don't have it right now you know it is what it is, but developing it I mean because I think it's a, all of this stuff is muscle stuff you got to do something, you know as much as there's nothing ever to do on the, at the highest mm-hmm. level, but so, how, yeah, what? How do you develop that muscle, resilience?
1: Well, sometimes I think it is doing nothing or doing less. You know, it's like, um, what? Some. Of, I mean, it's complex. Some of it is looking at what has helped you in the past. Have a bigger perspective or sense of more space, or more ease of heart, and looking at that list even making a list and you know i've had people write down things like being out in nature and then they reflect on that list and say well i haven't done it in like 7 years you know like maybe it's time to do that um or uh look deeper into that list like maybe um there are other ways of having that sense of safety or connection or Clarity that used to come in this one way. Maybe there are other ways of generating that. You know, so that that's part of it, and part of it, I think, is a deep sense of rest. You know, like we're tired, we're just exhausted and put upon, and there's so much to do, and there's so many issues, and um, (laughs) you know, it's too much, and and so uh, narrowing our focus sometimes. Like I can't do everything but I'm going to really pay attention to this Hmm. for now, or I'm going to take a break. You know, When I was in the hospital, um, this is in the book, the story, uh, which was just a year ago, and um, first I couldn't walk at all, and then I was up with a walker, uh, as one does, and you're going around the hospital corridor. So I was walking on my walker with this physical therapist, and and the physical therapist said to me, it's not a race, you know. <laughs> she said, you'll go farther if you just stop now and then rest. And that became my mantra. It's like, mm. it's not a race, you know. <laughs> it's like, you can only mm. do one thing at a time. You can only do this much right now. It's like, take a few breaks, you'll go further. Yeah. You know, and mm. it's just not my ordinary conditioning. So. Yeah. No, I, know.
0: I love the list idea, okay? That is so great. I mean and you know keeping a little diary of 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 uh, what one is going through that you can look back to and see a progression that's probably valuable but making but in that diary make a list all the different things and some of them right they can be soothing things
1: oh yeah you know? listening to music of a certain kind or bubble bath
0: or chinese food
1: or Chinese food? I don't know about Ohio Chinese food. I can't really speak to that. Maybe you have tremendous Chinese food. No, I don't sure. know. I don't
0: know why I thought of it. Oh, you know what? I'll you have you to go to I L.A. Thought. No, I thought of it because Chinese food for me is connects me with family because mm-hmm. my family every Sunday we would have Chinese food. Yeah, and I, I had that feeling. So I'm, I'm taking, I'm grabbing at that feeling. Yeah. Right. As a way to uh, take a, a bit of a break you yeah. know, for a moment. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's really excellent. Um, the other one was anger to
1: courage. Anger that's, to courage.
0: Okay. Well, this could be also helpful for me, Sharon. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, in the Buddhist psychology, anger. Um, has some positive attributes. It's got energy, for one thing. And uh, there's a way in which, and I'm not talking about it being problematic to feel anger because we feel what we feel. And I think the more we denounce what we feel, the worse trouble we're in, you know? So it's not about that, but um, getting lost in anger, getting overwhelmed by anger, and especially having anger guide our choices. Our actions can be very problematic. So, the positive side is the energy. It's a way of saying, no, mm, that's mm. just not right, or enough, or um, look at that. You know, th- there's a lot of conversation about within looking at the Buddhist psychology about things like, and maybe the angry person in the room. That points out the flaw. I mean, this is a very beautiful room. I'm looking for a flaw, but you know, let's say there was a hole in the carpet, which there is not. You know, maybe everyone else is studiously avoiding looking at it, and the angry person says, "Look at that!" You know, so it can be really useful. Hmm. Um, but it's also in the Buddhist psychology that anger is likened to a forest fire, which can burn up its own support, which means it can kill us. It can really damage us, and so. What you want to do is really be mindful enough to extract the energy, but not get caught in the burning. Mm. You know, that just ain't like, easy. Just no, it's not that. easy, but it actually turns out to be possible. Lo and behold, yeah. it's definitely not easy, but it, and it, it's you're right. It's like a muscle, you know. It's a training, and and you can actually do it. Um, I tell the story. Uh, well, first in this in this next book. I had the thought one day, you know what? I want to quote Gandhi, as I thought. I want to quote Gandhi when he said, um, you know, getting angry at someone is like drinking poison, thinking it's going to kill the other guy. Mm. But in order to quote it in the book, I needed the exact quote. So I looked it up, and I didn't see it attributed to Gandhi anywhere. I saw it attributed to Oprah Winfrey, the big book of AA. no. Uh, Nelson Mandela, the Buddha. You know, I have no idea who said it, but somebody said it. And it's very wise. You know, so that's one side of things. Um, but we do want the energy because cause we need it. I mean, things are outrageous often, and and we need that sense of integrity to say, no, that's not right. Um and and so we practice. I also tell the story in the book about, and I actually told it in my last book, too, True Confessions. <laughs> um, about I I teach sometimes with these great guys from the Holistic Life Foundation in Baltimore, hmm. who um it's two brothers, uh, Atman and Ali Smith, whose parents were yogis from the Self Realization Fellowship, so they grew up as vegetarians and doing yoga and meditating from the time they were seven, and then there's their friend Andy Gonzalez who they met in college, and then they teach the inner city in, in Baltimore and uh, they have a lot of school programs and they told me this story about this little girl who was, let's say, maybe eight years old, always getting into fights, always getting into trouble. And the kids would like tease her and bully her and but she would always retaliate and she was the one who'd get into all this trouble. So one day that, and they taught her how to meditate and one day they walked into like the gym or something. And she had this other little kid up against the wall, holding her by her throat. Oh. And then she looked at her and said, "You're just lucky. I know how to meditate." <laughs> and she dropped her and went off and sat and like composed <laughs> herself, <weird>. you know. <laughs> so uh, it's something like that, you know. It doesn't mean you never say anything. It doesn't mean you never do anything. But um, it it can be such a spiral down into mm. self destruction mm. to just be lost in anger all the time.
0: Okay, now we're moving over to courage is taking this energy That's right. and then
1: yeah, and being able to have boundaries or say no and take some risks, you know, like that person who's pointing at the hole in the carpet in a way is taking a risk. But um it might involve learning skills of communication, you know, like and and I think it involves a certain amount of self-understanding, like what do I really want to see happen in this situation? Do I want to be seen as right and come off as the victor, or do I want a resolution? And if I want a resolution, it's a whole other means of communication.
0: Mm, Yeah. Taking a risk, doing something you normally might not have done. Um, uh, A great uh, Chinese medicine doctor, Alex Tiberi, was... Um, he used to say, "This is according to Saraswati, who was married to him." Do whatever it is that you don't like doing. Try doing something you don't like doing. Could be eating something different. Just absolutely in any realm, that one thing. And I always liked that. I loved that because it, it to me, that is a muscle that you can tune to and cultivate that will allow for more broadening of, of a courageous uh, attitude rather than sticking to the habitual patterns mm-hmm. and so on. Because I think it takes tremendous courage, right, to uh, cut through habitual patterns. So
1: It does. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking, I don't know, my mind leaped to people chanting. And oh, he's feeling so self-conscious like how do i sound or i'm not good enough to chant my voice isn't good enough and and doing it anyway
0: yeah yeah yeah. that's a great example especially in our tradition with uh neem karoli baba and uh oh just i can't yeah countless countless people and, and this came up in this uh Fellowship uh, Zoom call I mentioned the other night, and we don't know how to do that because we're saying, you know, one of the e- e- essential things of sangha, you know, as Tikknath Hans said, next Buddha is the sangha, next guru is the satsang. Um, so central to that for uh, for Maharaji is food. Starts with food. Okay, then it's the community sharing this food and preparing this food. And and then, of course, there's chanting of the name, which is uh, the big practice that we brought back, that Krishnadas exemplifies. And they, how do we do that? How do we start? I, My voice, I don't I you know, it's like when I was first in radio way back in the day when I met Ram Das and I heard my voice, after it was recorded in, in a program, I was like, oh my God, that's... All. I was so uptight about it for so long, you know? Now people come up and say, whoa, you've got this great radio voice. You should only know, I want to tell them.
1: <laughs> <laughs> how I suffered.
0: Yeah, how I suffered. But yes, it's a great example because that is so... People get very self-conscious about how that reflects their me guy girl you know and so you take that little leap and you can't imagine what follows that because you know this goes back to your book joy yeah joy can really help cut through a lot of stuff if that gets cultivated Yeah. yeah so maybe a little bit about joy from the book yeah
1: i mean sort of combining those two things together i'm reminded of Remember when the Dalai Lama was in uh, Toronto for the Kala yeah, Chakra? Yeah, yeah, we went. You know, yeah, it was like 12 days, 11 or 12 days. And, um, and uh, he would do his own practice in the morning in front of everybody, which was kind of amazing. And then there were different practices. And then when the teachings actually started, he liked getting other people to get up on the stage and do chanting, kind of in the chronological order of how Buddhism spread across the world, and uh, so that would start with the Theravada tradition of Burma, Thailand, those countries, and the first day there was no, there were no Thai people there, but there were uh, both a a Canadian monk and nun who had been ordained in that tradition, so they got up on the stage and chanted. And the second day when the Dalai Lama did it, um, there was just the nun, I don't know where the monk was, (coughs) So she had a chance all by herself. So you can imagine this scene, there's like five thousand people in front of you. The Dalai Lama's sitting behind you and you're basically singing out loud, you know? And so uh and because I had studied so much in that tradition, I could tell she was making a ton of mistakes. Like the things you're supposed to say once, she was saying three times, the things mm-hmm. you're supposed to say three times, she was saying once, and mm-hmm. and then her voice was quivering and finally it was over. And he went on to like Koreans <laughs> or something like that, you know. Uh, through the chronology, and then um, at the end he said, I want to thank everybody who chanted, especially that nun. He said, it's not easy to chant by yourself. He said, I had to do that once. (laughs) I was in Japan or someplace, I think it was Japan. I I was in Japan, and I had to chant the Heart Sutra by myself, which is such a core text and so well-known. He said, I made so many mistakes. It's like I made up my own Heart Sutra. (laughs) You know, and it was so beautiful because he was like praising her effort and her courage and her mm. willingness to do it. And she came up to me afterwards. she was completely radiant and and she said to me, "Do you want to chant with me tomorrow?" <laughs> and I said, "No, thank you. you know, <laughs> I wasn't ready. but uh, you know, he didn't kind of carp on well, you know, you should have learned it so that you know what to do once and what to do three times. It was a whole other level. And it was such a source of joy for her. She was no longer fixated on I chanted mm. in front of the Dalai Lama and 5,000 people, yeah. and I made all these mistakes. It was mm. like he was just praising her heartfulness, which was the point.
0: Mm. Joy is good medicine to uh, help you forget about the little me that wants to dominate and believe yeah. in thoughts and all that. Yeah, That's a good prescription, really, you yeah. know. Just you talk about his holiness, you know, you can feel him, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, it's such a powerful presence of compassion and love and kindness, you know, I miss him, I haven't seen him in some time, I know he doesn't travel quite as much as he used to, yeah, Yeah. Um, I was telling you, I mean, we're kind of at the, near the end of our session here, sponsors only allow for 58 minutes, you know, if I could find one... (laughs) That would be good. <laughs> Which reminds me, everybody out there, you know, uh, we need your support. Okay, a little commercial in the middle of all this, Sharon. But I was telling you uh, last night about this series on Netflix called Buddha. Right, it's his whole life story. It's like fifty episodes or something crazy. It takes a, you know, a, you know, I when I was going through some health stuff. It was perfect. I just sat there and watched them one after the other. And it's corny, as I said, a corny Indian docudrama, right? Of the whole life of the Buddha. Like, he never ages in the whole thing. He's this handsome looking guy, (laughs) the whole thing, all the way to he died when he was 80.
1: Like Keanu Reeves. (laughs) Yeah, yeah,
0: kind of. Yeah. Yeah, Keanu would be good, right?
1: Keanu was in uh, The little Little Buddha.
0: Little Buddha, yeah, right. Um, and it was a r- real depiction, so everybody's on Netflix, you would love it, and it's uh, a real depiction meaning uh, the king, Sudodana. he's, you know, all the names are correct, even the conflict between uh, Siddhartha and his cousin, uh, what was his cousin's name?
1: Um, David David
0: Devadatta, Devadat, yeah. All of it, very accurate. The mothers and the, the conspiring against him so Devadatta would be king and going, you know, moving people out that were sick and infirm because father did not, you know, it was foretold that he would be a monk, all of that. It's all there. But done in the way, you know, if you've ever seen India, it's, it doesn't have a lot of song and dance, but it's got kind of that Bollywood th- thing to it. Well, I told you last night, I kind of fell in love with the Buddha That's through hard. this thing, you know? And... uh And I'm just sitting here now and chatting with you, and we haven't seen each other in quite some time, you know, and everybody out there, we've known each other for an awful long time that we don't want to mention too much, but uh, it was through your love of Buddha, your practice, your energizing loving-kindness practice in particular, you know, that's how I got. You know, people say, oh, well, you always, know, all these Buddhists at these retreats, you know, like Krishna does, and then Sharon and Jack. It's because that love was instilled in us way back then through through these people. And as far as I'm concerned, through. Whatever you wanna call this thing, the divine presence is my favorite word, or mm-hmm. as we say in Quebec, that thing there when you can't it's ineffable and you can't you know you just <laughs> cannot explain it out there's no way so uh, yeah i just I just had to mention that I mean that's been a big thing, big, big thing in my life and in our lives and and I think what's represented you know and Ramdas was so much of this yeah, yeah. you know that the discriminating wisdom that Buddhism so profoundly offers, you know, alongside of the heart, uh, things from uh, Ninkaroli Baba, although mm-hmm. he he wasn't, had nothing to do with Hinduism. It yeah, did, because right. of right. Hanuman and all that, you know. Right, right. But, you know, that I think you know this story because you're with Krishnadas so much, but when we were together with him, when, and uh, Krishnadas had his diary and it had, Mahamudra in it, right? Maharaji said to translate, what does that say? And he told him, he said, Teak, right. And then he turned the page and there was a picture of him and he said, Who's that? And we both went, Oh, Baba, it's you, you're joking us. He said, Nay Buddha. Mm. You know. I'll never forget that. He'll never forget that, Krishna Das because of our the way that we're steeped Mm -hmm. in it, you know. As these things have become one really for us and uh yeah thank you thank, thank you so you. much thank you yeah. it's really okay beautiful. what's the name of the book again
1: it's called real change mindfulness to heal ourselves in the world
0: okay so everybody that book is going to be available at the beginning of june 2020 you're uh uh And this will be uh, probably a couple of months ahead of that, which is just perfect because if you order a copy, it's going to enable. And I know this because of being in the you know doing publishing stuff. It will enable the stores to go look. This is a this book's got legs. Let's order more copies. So it's it is really important. So support uh, Sharon on this, and and thank you, Sharon.
1: Thank you so much.
0: We are. BeHereNowNetwork dot com. Go to BeHereNowNetwork dot com slash mindrolling. You can see all the show notes. There will be a link that Sharon's going to give me so that you can pre-order the book and uh, and just check out Sharon's podcast. How about we haven't even talked about? Oh that. yeah, I
1: have a podcast. Thanks to Raghu. <laughs> no. I didn't even know what a podcast was. <laughs>
0: yeah, well now you're really doing it. You're not just. You know, you're talking to people, and which is so great. I mean, you know, uh, so yeah, listen to Sharon. Listen to Joseph, Jack. We got everybody there, Krishna Das, Ram Das. And we shall see you next week. Ram Ram, bye-bye.